Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Oh, hi. Hello. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast, where with each episode, we hear from different women experts in the health IT industry. We like to hear about what makes them tick, how they overcome challenges, work they're especially proud of, and much more in the hopes of creating a safe space for sharing experiences, geeking out on health IT industry-specific knowledge, and sometimes just enjoying each other's company. I'm Joy Rios. I'm Robin Roberts. And this is our fourth episode of the season. Today we'll be speaking with Sue Shade, a nationally recognized health IT leader and principal at Starbridge Advisors. During our conversation, Sue shares her journey to the C-suite. She, Robin, and I briefly compare notes about some hostile work environments we've experienced, and Sue then doles out some free mentoring advice for future female leaders. Okay, so let's jump in to today's conversation. Well, welcome to everyone today. We are speaking with Sue Shade, the principal at Starbridge Advisors, LLC. Welcome, Sue. Thank you for joining us. Glad to be here. Thank you. I'd like to just start by asking you to tell us a little bit about your background. You know, you have really a very robust background, predominantly as a CIO. Um, And like I said, as I told the audience, you're the principal at Starbridge Advisors, along with some of your other colleagues. Could you tell us a little bit more about that background and maybe even hone in about your journey to the C-suite as a female health IT leader? So I have um, over 30 years in health IT management. I go back to the early 80s when I started out as a programmer and I moved into an analyst position and management position very early on in my career and then kind of up the ladder from there, you could say, really growing up on the application side as opposed to the technical side within health IT. When I left an organization in the mid-90s that I had been at for 12 years, uh, I was like a regional CIO. You could say, though it wasn't really called that at the time, but I had responsibility for IT at a couple of our hospitals. At that point, I spent uh, some time at a vendor Uh, It was a software and outsourcing and consulting vendor, and I was responsible for IT and the software product uh, to begin with, and I moved into some other roles. Then I actually, when I left there, I went to um, one of the big consulting firms, Ernst & Young at the time, and that was all part of transitioning uh, my career so that I could be uh, more mobile. 
So working for a large consulting firm, thinking that if I needed to move because of my husband, which was on the horizon in another year, given where he was at, um, I thought I would have, uh, you know, a great consulting career. I was really interested in doing that at the time and then um, have the mobility. As it turns out, that didn't work. My husband made the change he was going to make. And um, I said, well, I'm following him. And I went back into the job search, and that's when I got the opportunity at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston as part of Partners Healthcare as their CIO. Um, so what was kind of a, a dark period, if you will, trying to figure out um, if I can't stay with the consulting firm because um, they wouldn't move me for particular you know, rules they had at that point that had changed. Um, I, uh, you know, aggressively followed the job search and uh, got a great opportunity at Brigham. I was there then for almost 13 years as the CIO and um, decided that I wanted uh, more. I wanted broader responsibility because within the partners organization, the site CIOs don't have responsibility for everything IT given the, the number of common uh, services and, and centralized functions at the partner's level. So then I took the opportunity at University of Michigan Health System as a CIO for the hospitals and health centers. And I did that for several years. That was a great experience. And then when I was sitting in Michigan um, and my two daughters were having children and I was trying to fly to opposite ends of the country to visit them periodically, um, I said, uh, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to move back to New England and be close to my daughters and their grandkids and be able to see them more and uh, have more flexibility in my career at this point. Uh, so started down the path of doing high-level IT consulting, interim management and leadership coaching and did an interim right away then that year. That was early 16. And then during the course of 16, uh, worked with my two colleagues, David Munson and Russ Rudish at Starbridge Advisors to found this firm with them about two years ago in October of 16. And we do IT consulting, interim management, leadership coaching. And we've got about 25 advisors now who work with us and are on a variety of engagements. You know, everybody has ups and downs in their careers and I've had some, but it's all good now. That's great. You know, I kind of want to hone in a little bit what you said. You started out as a programmer and an analyst. And so, mm -hmm. especially in, in the 80s, you know, you were mm -hmm. likely likely one of the few women in STEM. Yeah. So, can you speak a little bit about that experience and how, you know, working in STEM way back then versus now, how has it actually changed and what environmental differences do you experience? Sure. Uh, I'm happy to say it's changed a lot, and it's uh, the environment is much more supportive now than it was. Uh, I think there are a lot more male colleagues who are very enlightened, enlightened and supportive of uh, their female colleagues, and um, you know they've they've got uh, possibly working wives and and daughters, and and they they get it in a way that. Um, I think that generation working in the 80s just didn't, not to say, uh, well, well, let me comment further on that. I think that um, there was a period of time in the 80s when I was the only female on the management team in IT um, reporting to the CIO for a five-year period. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, I can tell you some stories. I had young children. Uh, I had a long commute. 
And my husband had a long commute going in the opposite direction. And, you know, we took turns picking kids up at daycare, but it was in the Chicago market and being a lot of traffic in the Chicago area. And, uh, you know, I'd have to get out of there a certain time and get my kids. And oftentimes it seemed like the guys who didn't have those kinds of responsibilities. And, and at that point, a number of them had wives who were not working outside the home, but at home. And the guys kind of didn't get it. And they would have their informal strategy discussions oftentimes late in the day after five, five thirty. And I'm like, I got to get out the door. I got to pick up my kids, period. And, you know, the daycare center closes at a certain point. Uh, you know, I, I think flexible schedules, more sharing, more understanding of, uh, you know, the demands on young parents is, is certainly something I see in the, in the work environment now that's much healthier. There were times that I'd be in a meeting with the guys and, you know, one of them would use a swear word, which I don't think is ever appropriate in business, but, you know, then they'd look at me and go, oh, sorry, like, you know, I'm a princess and I've never heard the word, you know? So it's just this, <laughs> you know, this kind of male-female thing when I was the only one in the room that uh, at times was uncomfortable. I would also tell you the story that there were two male colleagues at that time that were extremely difficult to work with and one in particular who really had it out for me and for no good or clear reason and he uh, spread a story that I was related to a board member which is why I was in management which was totally not true I'd never heard of the person person had my husband's name shade but we'd never heard of this person and he he also threatened me he threatened me verbally and came into my office one day, shut the door, held on to the doorknob and, and, and threatened me relative to some things that were happening. And I just said, you know, enough is enough to myself. Uh, I had spent way too much negative energy um, and stressing about this situation and how he was dealing with me. And I told our boss, reported the same person what was going on and that I wasn't going to tolerate it anymore and any incidents with this individual that I felt were you know inappropriate and threatening to me I would let him know and he would have to deal with it because I couldn't by myself and I wasn't going to put up with it anymore so you know when I tell that story when I'm doing a talk or on panels you know my bottom line message is don't take the crap and you have to know when you've got to just say I can't deal with this I've got to report this. I've got to escalate this. I need help resolving this. So uh, I will tell you that both individuals, and I didn't really describe the other individual, but in, in some of how he worked with me, both of them ended up being asked to leave the organization by uh, the next boss that came in once that boss realized the kinds of inappropriate management behaviors that were going on. So uh, it eventually got resolved, um, but I put up with some tough times for for a period until I said enough and, and uh, escalated. Yeah, that, that, especially given today's context, I'm curious to know if your report was taken seriously and, you know, good kudos to you for actually saying something, but can you share with us how, um, you know, the receiver of that information took it? Did they believe you and act on it right away or was uh, it, all, it sounds like it was only taken seriously maybe quite a bit later? I think the person who I reported to at the time, who we all reported to at the time, you know, took it seriously and, and kind of had my back and probably said something to the one individual in particular. But 
and it maybe cooled off a little bit, but it wasn't, I can't remember the timing, but it wasn't until the next boss to all of us came in and was there for a while and thought some what was going on more broadly, you know, knew my issues and complaints. And, and I think it took him seeing more of it to deal with it. And it's interesting because he's retired, but, you know, we keep in touch and, and there was some exchange with him recently, you know, with everything going on right now in the last year in terms of the Me Too movement and um, harassment, you know, he, he wrote me a note. He, he said something to the effect, I'm appreciating more and more some of the stuff you put up with back then and how you were able to overcome it and be strong and, you know, what you've achieved in your career. So I don't, I don't want you to think that what was going on was of a sexual harassment nature, but it was a, uh, what do we call it? A hostile work environment. A uh, person was creating a hostile work environment towards me. You know, was it because I was a woman uh, that I threatened him in some way in terms of um, the work I was doing? And, and, you know, who knows? But I don't want to dwell on that. That stuff happened Agreed. then. That kind of stuff happens now. And, you know, my message to women and men, you, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm working with someone right now who has some, con- and he's a man, he's somewhat concerned about some behaviors that have come from another individual and, you know, creating a hostile work environment. So uh, regardless, you, you know, there's no reason we have to tolerate that. And um, I may get on a soapbox here, but I will also say in the last few years, it seems like bullying behavior has become more of a norm and acceptable in some circles and it's just not okay. Yeah, agree. And it's, I was just going to say, I can definitely relate to that. I uh, cut my teeth predominantly in healthcare, starting with a revenue cycle management company quite some time ago mm-hmm. and have been literally yelled at an inch from my face in front of a, by the CEO, um, you know, mm-hmm. while seven months pregnant and it's in the middle of the hallway, lots of people around. And that was just kind of, you know, the status quo of some of what mm-hmm. went on and how things operated. And um, mm-hmm. I can't imagine just the, the amount of time and things that have been dealt with and especially with kind of the current climate. And it's, uh, I, I agree with you. I think it's kind of unfortunate. Very unfortunate. Yeah. So I don't want to be Pollyanna and say it's all better. Uh, a lot of things are better. A lot of things are different from, you know, 30 years ago. But I think uh, we're losing some of the civility and, and respect that we need in our day-to-day from people. So we just have to call it out and be role models, right? Agreed. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) And I mean, I remember very clearly when I started talking more publicly about women's issues and challenges, I was asked to do a keynote at a small conference, uh, one of these invitation-only conferences that have like 100, 150 people. And I was asked to do the keynote during dinner on the first night. And I had great latitude to talk about whatever I wanted, as long as it was, you know, motivational. I'm like, great. Let me see what I want to talk about. So I decided to talk about the future workforce and was doing some research and digging in. And I pretty quickly, as I was uncovering things, decided I want to focus in on the future workforce, but the challenges for women in particular. So that was the first public talk that I did on that. And um, it was a typical IT conference with, you know, maybe 20% women in the room. 
And when I started talking and teeing up what I was going to focus on, there were women who looked at each other and went, oh my God, how's this going to go? And looking around the room full of men. What was really interesting is afterwards, the number of men that came up to me and said, I'm so glad you covered that. My daughter is in engineering school at da 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 da. Or I'm so glad you covered that. My daughter is interested in learning some programming skills and she's doing this thing in the middle schools. You know, it just, what I realized is if we're willing to kind of open up and talk about some of these things, there are many, 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 many supportive men who get it, who want to help figure this out as well. And they may be relating it to it through their family members, their daughters or their wife, or, you know, the women that they work with or that work for them. Absolutely. And I think that there's a lot of men right now that are just afraid that they're grouped into, you know, the the bad guys. And I, mm-hmm. it's really, really important, I think, to share with the, those that aren't. Like, we know, we see you. And actually, we thank right. you for showing up for us. Exactly. And, Exactly. And, and giving us encouragement and, you know, being there for us when we when we need yep. you, because, you know, it, that's being an ally and being aware that you're an ally and just mm-hmm. actually just just being there for somebody. It really mm-hmm. just, it means so much. Well, I wanted to point out that you write pretty regularly on your mm-hmm. blog, sushay.com, mm-hmm. where you're talking about, you know, every I would say every not necessarily once a week, but a couple times a month that you're sharing ideas that affect your career and all different perspectives. And so you've written on all kinds of different topics from leadership to technology and EHRs and even HR and women in work and speaking up. So are any of, is there any topic in particular that is your favorite to write about or, or is it all kind of compiled into your professional interests? Or can you, you know, why do you choose to write about what it is that you're writing about? <laughs> Great questions. And and let me clarify, it is weekly. I've had a weekly discipline for over four years now. And it is a discipline when you decide to do something like that. Um, but I just feel like I've got a lot to share. And, and, and I, it's a form of teaching uh, for the people who take the time to, to read the post. You know, I really like writing about leadership and women in work. You did already give the URL, com, but I call the blog Health IT Connect. So, I'm always I'm always coming back to um, I mean leadership is 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 broad and cross industry but uh, depending on the topic I'm always trying to find a way to tie it back to healthcare and to IT if I can um, how do I come up with um, ideas uh, I have a running list of ideas that as things strike me it's very much experience and observation if you will as I think about topics and how I can do something with it. Uh, I've got two ideas this week, both of which I've started to write and sometime before, you know, Thursday night, I'll, I'll do it and finalize it and publish it Friday morning. It's kind of my regular schedule now. And it's very, when you, when you write a weekly blog like that, as someone told me in the beginning, Anthony Guerra, who has healthsystemcil.com, he was very helpful when I reached out and said, give me some advice. I'm thinking about doing a blog. And he said, you know, first off, you have to establish a frequency and, and a discipline. And secondly, you'll find that you look at the world differently. You're always observing and looking for things to write about. And I think that's just really true. Um, I, I know when, I, when I've 
been working as a CIO. I started the blog when I was at Michigan as a CIO, and then I've done two interim CIO engagements in the last two years. When I'm in the day-to-day doing interim work, the ideas flow more. There's just always something. When I'm not in the day-to-day CIO work, I would say uh, how the ideas flow and the range of ideas are a little bit different. Absolutely. And I agree with you. Um, as a writer myself, I, I often think, you know, what am I getting out of this? Or what is, is there anything that I'm expecting in return? And most times the answer is not, is, is no. I'm really just doing it for the purpose of either getting some thoughts out on paper or sharing an idea, but it's not with the expectation of getting anything. Is the same true for you? I'd say that's very true. It's it's a lot of giving. And, you know, there's weeks where it takes me more to write it um, and to refine it than other weeks. And, you know, sometimes I go, okay, uh, the time I spend on it is I'm not doing something else. But, you know, that phrase labor of love, I just I think I really enjoy it at this point. And it's it's, you know, something that I make the time for and, and I make it happen. And yeah, it's, it's, it's giving. (laughs) And I I tell you, the, the feedback that I get, whether it's comments or people, you know, see me at conferences and meetings and, and, or meet me and, and introduce themselves to me and go like, I follow your blog. I love it. Thank you so much. You know, there's such great insight. I share it with others. It's like, that's, you know, all I got to do is hear that one. So it keeps me going with it. It's great to hear what fuels you and, and that consistency in writing. And so I know I, I was reading more about it when I was introduced to who you were, Sue. So that's really cool to hear. Um, can you tell us, let's, let's keep talking about all of your, you know, decades of work and responsibility and kind of that, that journey you took our listeners through earlier. Can you tell us about maybe a couple of your favorite projects? If, if I think about what I'm really most proud of as I look, years out as I, you know, really kind of wind down my career. It's the legacy, maybe a, the wrong word, maybe too grandiose, but knowing that I have mentored and helped develop, been a role model, been a leader, you know, directly with many people over the years and the different positions I've had, and that I have helped shape other people and helped them grow and helped influence them that's really what, that's what I'm most proud of. I mean, it's, you know, at the end of the day, when I, when people, you know, say something nice about me and my career, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's going to be those things as opposed to that, you know, that big EHR implementation she did or that big, you know, something else that she did. It's really the leadership component and, you know, helping develop that next generation of leaders, which is I'm, which I'm committed to. And I'm, I'm constantly reminding myself in terms of the, the, uh, the writing and the speaking and the things that I'm willing to give time to. So you remind me a lot of having um, the, camp, the campsite rules, leaving, leaving a place mm. better than, than, where, mm. than how you found you it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so to that point, you know, what advice, because it sounds like you have quite a bit, but what advice would you, you be willing to share that you have, you know, potential future female leaders? Well, one of the, I'll reference one of the blogs that I wrote in the last year was called 10 Tips for Next Generation Leaders. And I'll just mention a few of the things that I emphasize there. Finding a mentor, I think is critical. You really can't do it all yourself. And if you, if you try to find someone who's a role model and is willing to invest some time and energy in helping you, that can go a long way. So I would, I would encourage 
men and women, women in particular, to find a mentor. I think that um, for women, you definitely have to give up on perfectionism. And I think that women may be more prone to perfectionism than men. I don't know if there's any studies on that, but, you know, we, we, we think we have to do everything and we have to do it very well. But, you know, where they say perfection is the enemy of good and, and it takes time and keeps you from doing other things that you could be doing. I think that, and, and that goes home life as well. You know, I have two daughters who now are, well, one just turned 40 last month and um, the other one's 37 and they are working. Each have two young children and their husbands and they share, you know, a lot of a lot of the responsibilities, but I hear from my daughters sometimes the pressure they're putting on themselves to do different projects, clean the house, the, the big birthday parties they're planning. I mean, just one thing after another. And, and sometimes when they're really stressed and they're talking to me as mom, I'm like, you know, what can you say no to? What can you take off your plate? You're putting some of the pressure on yourself or what do you, you know, when can you say good enough? Uh, something. So I think, I think that's particularly um, important for women, you know, and related to that is, um, and this goes at home and at work, let go and be willing to delegate. You can't do it all yourself. And, you know, when you, when you're talking about work, you got to help develop others. You got to give them opportunities. Don't think that you have to do it all all yourself. And, you know, how does that apply on the home front? You know, um, do you have to do it or, you know, can your family help with that? I, I will tell you maybe a funny story. Um, I, I used to do the laundry in our family. And um, there was a point where my husband was watching me do laundry late at night on Sunday night and uh, setting the timer because I would event, it was too late. I needed to get some sleep. I would turn on the dryer. I would set the timer, take a nap, and then get up deal with the dryer and fold the clothes and then really go to bed. And he's like, this is nuts. This is nuts. These girls, and maybe they were middle school at that point, they're going to start doing their own laundry. You shouldn't be doing it for them. And, you know, he had to see it. I didn't see it. And and I'm, I, I was grateful that he saw it. And he was on target because, for one thing, with girls of that age, they will go to their closet. I don't know if you've, you know, in terms of ages of your kids, but go through the closet. And they'll look at something and try it on and then say, oh, no, I'm not going to wear that. And it goes on the floor. And if it goes on the floor, then it goes in the basket. And then I was washing everything, even though they probably never wore it. And once they had to take responsibility, and we delegated back to that laundry to them, they had much smaller loads because they knew what they hadn't worn and uh, what they didn't have to wash. Those are a couple. Those are a couple pointers. Um, You know, some of what I'm talking about gets at the work-life balance issue, but I think that's another one that's, that's you know, men and women, but particular particular women. Um, it's a challenge for everyone, um, but, you know, you have to figure out what's right for you and, and how you're going to make that work. And uh, maybe the last thing I would say, especially for women, is that you own your own career. I always be open to the possibilities and you own your own career. Everybody wants to give you advice and you're going to ask people for advice, but at the end of the day, you have to make the decisions that are right for you. Thank you for sharing all of that. Actually, the thing that comes up for me is I've been reading a lot specifically about women and in their professions. And if they have an idea, something to to go after, 
with the whole concept of perfect being the enemy of good is mm-hmm. that we really need to get into the mindset of starting before we feel ready, knowing that we're yeah. going to, everything is an iterative process and we're going right. to end up um, improving a little bit as we go. And right. we certainly understand that here at this podcast. We know this podcast is certainly not a perfect, <laughs> perfect mm-hmm. in, its, um, in its existence yet. But mm-hmm. it is an exercise that there. I think is, yeah, we'll get there. It's still, it's a worthy. <laughs> It'll evolve. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that's an important point. One of the things that um, I often mention in, in talks is an article called The Confidence Gap. I don't know if you've heard of it. It was in the Atlantic a few years ago. And yep. um, you've probably heard the reference that uh, women women will go for a job when they think they're 100% qualified and men will go for a job when they're only 60% qualified. And, um, you know, I think that's, I think that's true. And I think that women need to look at if I could do that job and I've got this much experience and and skills and knowledge uh, as my starting point, but these are the things that I would have to learn if I got the job, go for it. Absolutely go for it. Now I do think that it's something that does happen in hiring is that women and men with the same experience may be viewed differently, that a woman might be judged just on what she's already done as opposed to her potential, whereas a man with the same experience might be judged on, okay, he hasn't done these other things yet, but we think he can. You know, you still got to put yourself out there. Absolutely. I think that's um, particularly well said. And I, I like the way you put that about the confidence gap. You know, um, mm-hmm. I grew up and my Nana always told me, she said, if somebody gives you an opportunity, say yes and figure out the rest later. And I think that's <laughs> right. particularly true. That's good. So I really love what you were saying earlier on in our discussion about how you kind of, you know, you were already doing some of those roles and some of those jobs. And I think I, I think sometimes we forget that and how that translates as you continue to bridge and transition from role to role, um, especially right. if you aspire to to live at the C-suite level and have mm-hmm. that greater impact. So, mm-hmm. um, Can I just add one thing? You know, I think when I say be open to the possibilities, you have to, you know, look at the jobs that exist now and the, and the fields that you can go into that weren't there five, ten years ago. And what's going to be there in the next five to ten years? Everybody is constantly learning new. You know, let's take population health. At the point that, if we think in leadership ranks, at the point that more and more organizations were starting to focus on population health initiatives and put someone in a leadership role around population health, did every were there a whole bunch of candidates who already knew population health hands down, or was it a new a new area and focus for the organization? So therefore, people with various backgrounds might be candidates to take that initiative forward and learn what needs to be learned. So, you know, um, being willing to learn, continually learn, go for things that are new, um, and, uh, you know, continue to evolve in your career, I think is, is important for everyone, not just women. No, and especially in healthcare and health IT, that's self-directed mm-hmm. learning. Um, that is a right. skill, and it is a strong one yeah. because, I mean, we – you know, Joy and I, we, we struggle to keep up with policy that's barely dry before there's new published rules in the register. Yep. And so, yep. uh, yeah, it's, I, I absolutely get that. I'm so glad you yeah. added that. 
Sue, when we think about just, you know, health IT in general on a whole, you know, whether it's on the horizon or, or something you've done in the past, what are, what are some of the topics that are keeping you up at night as of late? <laughs> um, I tell you, if I was if I was in a in a CIO role, um, uh, in an interim CIO role right now, I think I'd probably answer security, cybersecurity, and um, maintaining a stable production system. Even though I would have um, leaders worrying about those uh, areas themselves, I would still, as CIO, feel a level of responsibility to make sure. Um, that were in good shape in those areas. Uh, I think the cybersecurity piece goes without saying. In terms of a stable production environment, when you look at the uh, scale right now and the level of dependency on, uh, in particular, clinical systems, you know, if, if payroll goes down and there's an issue there, I mean, that's not the same as, you know, the the clinical system that the clinicians depend on and you know, potential for medical errors and harm to patients. So. Stable, stable production environment is something that probably people do worry about. As far as where I am now and, and not being in that kind of position, um, I would talk at a more macro level. I think for organizations to be uh, fully adapting to the changes in our environment, value-based care, figuring out how to reduce costs, yet still growing and really leveraging technology to its fullest, both the core systems that are in place as well as what's not there yet and the new innovation. So those are the things that as a CIO, you want to be helping your organization uh, achieve. And in the work that we do in working with client organizations, we want to be helping organizations achieve. So it's it's a little bit different for where I sit now than if I was um, in a CIO position right now. Yeah, I think those are some big topics. The one, you know, the cybersecurity, I think, goes without saying, but maybe isn't, you know, addressed um, with the level of importance or sometimes even fiscally as, as much as it needs to be. And, you know, that's a, that's a huge button or a huge um, hot topic right now um, as mm-hmm. people talk about security of things. So I'm glad to kind of know what's going through your mind in the evening and what sorts of things are, you know, buzzing around in your head. Joy, anything else you want to add? Um, I think that covers our questions. And more than anything, I just wanted to say thank you to you, Sue. And honestly, I feel like without you, without it being official, I've become a, a bit of your mentee. So thank you for being a mentor, <laughs> even in this Excellent. short period of time. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> thank you. Absolutely. I think that the, they've been great and very colorful and helpful and understanding, you know, what's going on in, in this industry and also just in our culture and our place in it. So thank you for sharing your experience. We are excited to share it with our listeners and um, and hope to catch up with you again sometime in the near future. Really. That'd be great. nice to see great. you. Thank know. you. So if any of our listeners want to uh, catch up with you on social media, email, your website, mm-hmm. I know we, um, you know, if you want to mention the blog post again, what are some of the best sure. ways for them to reach you? Sure. So the blog can be found at sueshade.com. My uh, Twitter handle is sgshade. And um, I'm on LinkedIn if people want to reach out. Um, we also at Starbridge Advisors publish 